Belonging is being somewhere where you want to be, and they want you. Fitting in is being somewhere where you want to be, but they don't care one way or the other. Belonging is being accepted for you. Fitting in is being accepted for being like everyone else. If I get to be me, I belong. If I have to be like you, I fit in. Not belonging at school is really hard, but it's nothing compared to what it feels like when you don't belong at home. When I asked the students what that meant, they used these examples. Not living up to your parents' expectations. Not being as cool or popular as your parents want you to be. Not being good at the same things your parents were good at. Your parents being embarrassed because you don't have enough friends or you're not an athlete or a cheerleader. Your parents not liking who you are and what you like to do. When your parents don't pay attention to your life. Braving the Wilderness, Brene Brown. Not caring about our own pain and the pain of others is not working. How much longer are we willing to keep pulling drowning people out of the river one by one, rather than walking to the headwaters of the river to find the source of the pain? What will it take for us to let go of that earned self-righteousness and travel together to the cradle of the pain that is throwing all of us in at such a rate that we couldn't possibly save everyone? Pain is unrelenting. It will get our attention. Despite our attempts to drown it in addiction, to physically beat it out of one another, to suffocate it with success and material trappings, or to strangle it with our hate, pain will find a way to make itself known. Pain will subside only when we acknowledge it and care for it. Addressing it with love and compassion will take only a minuscule percentage of the energy it takes to fight it. But approaching pain head-on is terrifying. Most of us were not taught how to recognize pain, name it, and be with it. Our families and culture believed that the vulnerability that it takes to acknowledge pain was weakness, so we were taught anger, rage, and denial instead. But what we know now is that when we deny our emotion, it owns us. When we own our emotion, we can rebuild and find our way through the pain. Sometimes owning our pain and bearing witness to struggle means getting angry. When we deny ourselves the right to be angry, we deny our pain. There are a lot of coded shame messages in the rhetoric of, why so hostile? Don't get hysterical. I'm sensing so much anger. And don't take it so personally. All of these responses are normally code for, your emotion or opinion is making me uncomfortable, or suck it up and stay quiet. One response to this is, get angry and stay angry. I haven't seen that advice borne out in the research. What I found is that yes, we all have the right and need to feel and own our anger. It's an important human experience. And it's critical to recognize that maintaining any level of rage, anger, or contempt, that favorite concoction of a little anger and a little disgust over a long period of time is not sustainable. Anger is a catalyst. Holding on to it will make us exhausted and sick. Internalizing anger will take away our joy and spirit. Externalizing anger will make us less effective in our attempts to create change and forge connection. It's an emotion that we need to transform into something life-giving. Courage, love, change, compassion, justice. Or sometimes anger can mask a far more difficult emotion like grief, regret, or shame. And we need to use it to dig into what we're really feeling. Either way, anger is a powerful catalyst, but a life-sucking companion. I can't think of a more powerful example than the sentence, you will not have my hate. In November 2015, Antoine Leris's wife, Elaine, was killed by terrorists at the Bataclan Theater in Paris, along with 88 other people. Two days after the attacks, in an open letter to his wife's killers posted on Facebook, Leris wrote, On Friday night, you stole the life of an exceptional being, the love of my life, the mother of my son, but you will not have my hate. I don't know who you are and I don't want to know. You are dead souls. If that God for whom you blindly kill made us in his image, every bullet in my wife's body will have been a wound in his heart. 
So no, I will not give you the satisfaction of hating you. That is what you want. But to respond to your hate with anger would be to yield to the same ignorance that made you what you are. You want me to be scared, to see my fellow citizens through suspicious eyes, to sacrifice my freedom for security. You have failed. I will not change. Laris continues. There are only two of us, my son and myself, but we are stronger than all the armies of the world. Anyway, I don't have any more time to waste on you, as I must go to see Melville, who is waking up from his nap. He's only 17 months old. He will eat his snack as he does every day, and then we will play as we do every day. And all his life, this little boy will defy you by being happy and free, because you will not have his hate, either. Courage is forged in pain, but not in all pain. Pain that is denied or ignored becomes fear or hate. Anger that is never transformed becomes resentment and bitterness. I love what Nobel Peace Prize laureate Kailash Satyarthi says in his 2015 TED Talk. Anger is within each one of you, and I will share a secret for a few seconds, that if we are confined in the narrow shells of egos and the circles of selfishness, then the anger will turn out to be hatred, violence, revenge, destruction. But if we are able to break the circles, then the same anger could turn into a great power. We can break the circles by using our inherent compassion and connect with the world through compassion to make this world better. That same anger could be transformed into it. We pay for hate with our lives, and that's too big a price to pay. Brene Brown, Braving the Wilderness. I found a definition of civility from the Institute for Civility and Government that very closely reflects how the research participants talked about civility. The organization's co-founders, Cassandra Danke and Tomas Bath, wrote, Civility is claiming and caring for one's identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's in the process. Civility is about disagreeing without disrespect. Seeking common ground as a starting point for dialogue about differences, listening past one's preconceptions, and teaching others to do the same. Civility is the hard work of staying present, even with those with whom we have deep-rooted and fierce disagreements. It is political in the sense that it is a necessary prerequisite for civic action, but it is political too in the sense that it is about negotiating interpersonal power such that everyone's voice is heard and nobody's is ignored. Braving the Wilderness, Brene Brown. Can you tell I just finished Braving the Wilderness? Um, yeah, I read this book after listening to all the TED Talks last week, and I wanted to sit on it before I discussed it, because I don't want to bash Brene Brown. I actually really like her. Um, I think that she is brave, and I think that she has good intentions, and I think she's done her homework. I just disagree with her a lot. Um, but I wanted to share some of the things that did stand out to me that I thought were really positive and helpful uh, up front. So, yeah, this is a book. Um, the subtitle is The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. And, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I. Like I said, I, I respect her, I appreciate her, but I'm gonna read you a couple of definitions. And again, so let me, actually, before I do this, let me just say, this is not meant to be a, um, a review in the sense of like, I'm gonna say this and this is my opinion and there's not a discussion and you know we can't talk about it and I'm giving her an evaluation and I'm her critic. That's not the point of this. 
um, you know, she did the incredibly vulnerable work of putting her thoughts down on paper where now anybody can go back and look at this and, you know, judge it. Um, and I don't, my, my goal here is not to determine who she is or what kind of person she is or anything like that. Um, but these ideas, I think, need to be grappled with. I think they need to be discussed. I think they need to be dissected. And so I am inviting you, when you listen to this episode, let me know what you think. Because, again, the way that I'm wired is very different, probably, from the way that you're wired. Um, and I am somewhat of a believer in the uh, adversarial um, method of discovering the truth, where sometimes it's in the arguing, in the tension, that we find out what, yeah, um, that that the truth is refined. Um, so I'm going to read you a couple of discussions, uh, a couple definitions that Brene Brown uses in this book that kind of um, made me question, right? And um, do I do I agree with the purpose of this book, and do I agree with the um, the message of this book, the overarching message of this book? So this is her definition of spirituality, um, which is actually from a book that she wrote in 2010 called The Gifts of Imperfection. Spirituality is recognizing and celebrating that we are all inextricably connected to each other by a power greater than all of us, and that our connection to that power and to one another is grounded in love and compassion. So I don't know that anything in that definition is wrong, but I would say that is just a definition that falls so short, in my opinion, of what spirituality is in a Christian sense, in a theological sense, um, that it's just like, it's misleading. It, it would be my issue with that. I um, have been reading through the Gospel of John, and one of the most famous verses, and a book full of famous verses, is John 4.24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And uh, this morning, my reading was John 6, um, 63. The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. That's uh, both of those are in the NIV. But yeah, I just... Mm. I find it questionable um right like in, in our worldview or let me say this i don't want to speak for you in my understanding and my interpretation of scripture spirituality is something um bigger than just being connected to other people um you know it's more than just acknowledging the existence of something greater and more than love and compassion right like even if you put those things together i think that that still falls short of what spirituality is, because we believe in, I believe, in a whole other world that I can't see, right? That is more real, not less real than the five senses. Um, I believe in a spirit that lives inside of me, a Holy Spirit that's not me, right? That is independent of me, that is greater than me, that um, is the source of love. Right. And I believe I'm made in the image of God, which means something very difficult to understand because God is spirit. So what does that mean to, to have an image um, and yet 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious this is not a book that is geared toward Christians, um, although I think Brene Brown does consider herself a Christian. Um, but this is her definition of true belonging. True belonging is a spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Again, on the whole, that sounds pretty inspiring. Um, and that's why I like Brene Brown. I feel like she is inspiring. Um, and I like to be inspired. But I want to make sure that... Um, I want to make sure that I am being inspired by what's true and not just by what sounds good. And I would say that, again, this definition of belonging, like one of um, one of her main ideas in this book, Brene Brown's main ideas, which let me just say, I like Brene Brown so much because for multiple reasons, but like two of them, she goes by Brene instead of Cassandra. I feel like, I feel like that would like save so much time to just go by Cassandra Brown, but she's Brene Brown. So props for that. And also she's a PhD, but she doesn't insist anybody call her doctor. So kudos. Um, so here's my, my disagreement with this idea of, of true belonging is she thinks, you know, we are not to belong to anybody, right? Like we're supposed to belong to ourselves. And I understand what she's trying to say, or at least I think I understand. It's entirely possible I'm misunderstanding and also entirely possible I'm intentionally misunderstanding. So I say this upfront, like I read the definition, but that doesn't mean that I understood what those words were trying to convey or that I want to understand what those words are trying to convey because I am totally biased. And I apologize if I come across like an angry youth pastor because that's really not my goal. Um, I... I struggle a lot to read things that I disagree with. And so pretty much like that definition is pretty early in the book, probably in the first uh, quarter of the book. And so I lost some motivation and put it down for like three or four days. And I was like, I don't know if I want to finish this book, but, um, but I'm trying to learn from sources where even when I don't agree a hundred percent, like to believe that God can speak to me and that I can learn um, even if it's not, an explicitly intentionally Christian source. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, even explicitly intentionally Christian sources can be misleading, can be wrong, um, right? Anything that is filtered through human hands has the capacity and the possibility of being distorted. So anyway, all of the caveat being said, um, yeah, I don't think so, right? Like, first of all, Paul talks about how we're not our own, right? We were bought with a price, so we belong to Christ. Um, and so even from that starting point, this idea of belonging to yourself is kind of like, well, not really. But then further, Paul talks about how we are members of one body and we belong to each other. And again, I think that that's meaningful. I think that that's significant and a point of real separation between us and the world right because i think that belonging to yourself might be the best the world can do is just to say well even if nobody else likes you or respects you or agrees with you at least you can be on your own side 
But I think Christianity demands so much more and offers so much more. And what I mean by that is this, the church is intended and envisioned and is being created into the most diverse body on earth. Um, and, you know, again, it comes down to what is the function of church, right? Like when we, when we narrow our vision to our own local church, sometimes it's tempting to be dismissive, right? To just see this mundane thing. Like we go to this service that, you know, like you can walk in at any point during the service and you know what's going to happen because it's structured to some degree it's scripted um and even in a more free-flowing service like you know that that's going to be you know what i mean like there's some predictability to it um and a lot of times it doesn't feel like a very transformational place right it feels like maybe some, some kind of the opposite like a lot of times people gravitate towards this because it is predictable because it is consistent because it's routine and ritual in a world that's not in a world that doesn't have place for those anymore but when you zoom out and look at the global church, right? The international church, um, the church universal, as people call it, I think you see just, wow, like this is so much bigger than my politics, so much bigger than my preferences, so much bigger than my prejudices, right? Um, you see this totally, like there, there's nothing else that, that crosses all of these boundaries and, um, totally destroys all of these barriers, right? But I think a lot of times we just have lived in such a powerless and such a visionless church. Um, and that's not meant to be condemning of any specific organization, leadership, whatever. Um, I just think in general, right? Like when we think of church, we don't think of this revolutionary um, commitment to each other. Because that's not usually what what's we're offered. We're offered membership in a group which is very different than being adopted into a family, right? Than knowing that, you know, because this is the thing that I struggle so much to, to understand is what is a family, right? Like I, I included that part about not belonging in family because it resonated with me. Um, it's been one of my big struggles. And, you know, I talk, I feel like every time I mention my parents on this podcast, it's always in a slightly or more disparaging light. And that's not really my intention. I'm not trying to, cut them down or speak ill of them. Um, I just, I have a lot of wounds there and I'm still working through that. I'm still realizing the depth to which that's still affecting me as a 30 year old. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I don't have a good concept of what family is supposed to look like. Um, you know, I still find myself feeling very transactional, even though my parents have done everything in their power to prove opposite right? Just to, um, I find myself believing like, hey, you, you don't really fit in here. You don't really belong here. We don't really like you. We don't really want you. Like we're tolerating you because we feel like that's what God wants us to do. And that's the right thing to do. And we don't want the reputational scandal of doing otherwise, but you're really kind of a burden and you're really like kind of a terrible human. <laughs> um, and so that's the frame through which I see family. Um, but I, I don't think that's, and, and one of the things that I'll, I'll say is that I think that my culture has a really warped view of spirituality. Um, it's not just my immediate family, my extended family, people I'm not related to that I know in our, um, that grew up in the same church circles. We all have 
these crazy wounds because we were told about God in a certain way that is very performance oriented, that's very um, behavioral, like there's a report card, um, but it's not a report card, like it's a report card about knowledge and it's a report card about um, externals. Um, and so I think that in even in those ways, right, God was misrepresented. And that makes me really angry because I know that there are kids growing up today who are being separated from God because of the message that they're hearing in church, right? It's making them, it's producing shame in them and it's producing separation in them, not just from God, but from their families, from their friends, from their communities. I remember, you know, being in a, um, being in an online small group with some of the people that I would have considered, you know, like the people that I knew the best in our community. And it was, it was guys. And just finding out like, oh, for, for all of these years, you know, for probably five years, I thought I was the only person in our community that had these struggles. Every single guy was going through the same stuff, but we didn't talk about it because there wasn't a, a place to do that. And there wasn't an expectation of doing that. There was, it was the opposite. It was like, you can't let anybody know what you're going through because they're going to judge you and it's going to impact your reputation, your family's reputation. So we're just going to keep silent. You know, we're going to, we're going to be secretive and shame grows in secrecy. Um, but here's the thing. I, I think that as much as we want to belong to ourselves, as much as we want to be independent, we're created to be interdependent. And that's actually one of the things that Brene Brown talks about is how, you know, as a species, a lot of the things that she quotes are evolutionary, um, evolutionary biology. And I don't, that doesn't mean anything to me, but, um, but she says, as a species, we're, we're wired for community. And I agree with that point. I don't think it's um, for evolutionary reasons, but I agree with that point, that we need community, that we're designed to be interdependent, not independent, um, which really clashes with our American culture. And so, you know, it's interesting because one of the questions I've been having is, you know, I see this, this book and it talks about like being yourself, right? Like that's, I feel like the quintessential American message is be yourself. And... I don't know what that means, right? Like what is considered yourself? Because in the beginning of this book, Brene Brown talks about how she has um, two requests that are often made of her when she goes to speak somewhere. One is, hey, can we not speak about faith? And the other one is, hey, can you not swear? And obviously one of these means a whole lot more to me than the other, right? I, I Let me own that bias up front. But for me, it's kind of like, you're telling me you can't be you if you can't swear. Like this is such a fundamental part of your identity that like you are offended, you won't go on stage or uh, unless you're allowed to do this. Like I just, I read this book and honestly one of the things that made it really hard to read was how profane it was. Like, there was a lot of swearing and it just, it felt unnecessary. Like that's one of the things that, sorry, this is totally a soapbox pet peeve aside it's not the point so you can skip like 15 or 20 seconds if you want to but it really makes me angry how much our culture is just saturated and laced with profanity in every level like um you know i read a lot of sports writing it's about basketball and people just cuss all the time and i don't get it i don't understand the necessity for it because i don't think it's necessary anyway belonging i think we were meant to belong to each other and to belong to Christ. 
And I think that often we are the obstacles to that belonging as individuals and as a community. I have multiple friends right now who are going through deep church hurt and are struggling to find their place. And I'm, you know, I'm in that same boat, honestly, right? Like, not that nobody has, has invited me, but um, yeah, just their biggest obstacle to community is they've seen what, what church behaves like, right? And, uh, and so I think in so many ways, we've fallen short of the ideal, but that doesn't mean that the ideal is wrong. It doesn't mean the ideal doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that God isn't moving us towards that, right? Like, I, I think this idea of belonging to yourself is in, it's meant to be empowering, but really it's just so isolating, right? And lonely. And that's one of the things Brene Brown talks about in this book is how loneliness is worse for you than smoking a pack a day or being an alcoholic, worse for you than obesity. Like in terms of your life expectancy, loneliness will lower it more than any of those other things. And so, yeah, I... I think that the church was designed to be a place where people can come as they are, but also a place where you have to change, right? I think we all have to change. And I think the sooner that we acknowledge that, the sooner we can get to healing, right? I don't think any of us get to leave the same way that we came in. Now, the question is, how do we need to change and who's doing the changing? One of my big struggles is I keep trying to change people and I, you know, all of the literature indicates we can't do that. We can't really change people. We might be able to influence the way that they behave around us, but we can't really change them on a heart level. Only God can do that. Um, and probably they have to choose and want that for themselves. So yeah, I can't change anybody. You can't change anybody, except maybe ourselves with the help of God, right? That said, we have to be like, you know, one of the, one of the things me and a couple guys, the theme for us right now is just accountability, right? It's staying in touch, letting light into our lives. And it, the point is not, hey, like, so I had a crisis last weekend and I had to reach out to them. And I think we're trying to get to the point where that's not what it takes for us to be connected, right? It's not, hey, let me be melting down and then you guys can drop everything and talk to me, but you guys know on a regular basis what's going on in my life. And so, you know, we, we don't have to get to that point of breaking, right? Like, you know me as I am, and you're not trying to change me, but you're also going to challenge me, right? Like, when you see something that you don't think um, aligns with God's will, then you're going to challenge me. And at the same time, like, I'm not just going to agree with it and do it because you told me to, right? Like, we both have to have God be our mediator, and um, we have to do at the end of the day, like we're the people who have to make our choices and own our choices, right? We're responsible for what we choose. So even if I do what you tell me to do, I'm the one who made the choice. I can't use, hey, this was your advice as an excuse to get out of the consequences of my choice. Um, so yeah, it's it's been really interesting. It's been really helpful um, to just have people who love me and love God um, and always point me back to God. Like, it's, don't get me wrong. It's frustrating. I don't like it. Um, honestly, a lot of times it feels like, uh, like a daily intervention, but on the other hand, you know, uh, it's been voluntary, right? Like I have the choice. I can walk away at any point. Um, but I stay because as hard as it is, right. One of the things that I've had to confront about myself is I only want to be vulnerable to a point. 
right? As soon as it gets uncomfortable, as soon as it gets inconvenient, as soon as I start seeing the things in me that I don't like, I want to pull away. And I pretend that it's because I don't want to hurt other people, but really it's because I don't want to be hurt anymore. Because I am just like, I can't bear to be exposed. I can't bear to be known. It just hurts too much to acknowledge how dirty, how wicked, how spiteful, right? Just there's so much inside of me that I'm like, I don't want you to see this. Um, but we can't be loved unless we're known. And I want to be loved, right? And I, I think we all want to be loved. It's just a question of are we willing to to be loved? And are we willing to be the kind of people that will love in that situation? When we see what a person's really like, will we still choose love? Because there is a choice. Sometimes when we see people, we're going to see the, the worst of them. And then we have a choice to make, right? Like, So belonging is not, hey, we always agree. Belonging is not, we always get along. Belonging is not, conformity it's not cookie cutting right like it's god has made us different and we have to honor that difference but at the same time we can't let that difference become um an idol right like diversity is important but also diversity can become an idol we can't just be like well i'm unique and so i'm going to do this and you're going to do that and so we have like these churches that basically break down to individuals and so everybody has their own agenda everybody has their own vision or whatever and the thing is, like, a single cell in your body can't do a whole lot by itself, right? Like, none of us alone is even an entire eye in the body of Christ. We might be a cone or a rock. I mean, like, I don't even, I'm, I'm not an anatomy person, but we're like a piece of 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 a piece of, a piece of something, right? Like, I might not even be, like, the tip of a fingernail in the body of Christ. And I don't say that to speak of myself as insignificant. I think... All of us together really matter. But at the same time, like I can't overvalue and overestimate, right? Like I keep reading these books because I'm looking for myself. But what does the Bible tell me? Is to be conformed to Christ, right? To pursue Christ likeness. And Christ likeness is going to look a little bit different for all of us because we're all different. But there's going to be similarities there too because Christ was Christ, right? Um, and so we have this tension between this individual calling and this collective calling. And sometimes it feels like they're in conflict, but they're not because the God that called us is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of self-contradiction. So we get to struggle. We get to figure it out. Um, we get to grow together and growing together often, right? Like people quote iron sharpening iron as if it's this like really pleasant thing. But I don't think it's pleasant for a knife to be sharpened. It's not pleasant for the knife. and It's probably not pleasant for the sharpener. It certainly doesn't sound pleasant. Um, so we have choices that we get to make, right? I I don't know. Maybe all of this is just rambling. Maybe I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, tell me, right? Like we can we can talk about that. I um I promise to attempt to not be hostile. I'm very argumentative. Um, but I'm learning how to listen. So I would love to have your thoughts. Um, but here's what I'll say. I think that I think that community is worth fighting for. I think community is worth risking for. I believe in community. Community saved my life. And I know that it's not perfect. But I also know, you know, in, in the days when I don't talk to people, like when I really, when I think about my life just 
disengaged from the people who really matter to me. I just, I find myself wondering, like, you know, there was a, there was a point a while ago where I was wondering, you know, I'm going to lose these people. I'm going to lose these people. I'm going to lose these people. Like, and so now I have to restructure my life so that I don't see them so that I'm out of their way. And this was, this was me being worst case scenario, just being really pessimistic and being very whatever. But I was just picturing like, okay, so if, if all of this changes, man, like, why don't, why am I even getting up tomorrow? And I don't mean that in the sense of like, that's an okay way to be. Um, but like, that's clearly not healthy mentality. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, one of the things I've had to struggle with is, you know, I don't, I can't live for people. And at the same time, one of the things that I was made for is to love people. Right. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, I like Brene Brown and I keep saying I like her not to be condescending, but because as someone who generally doesn't like strangers, like I liked her from the first time I heard her. And so for me, like to even say that I like someone is a, is a compliment. It's meant to be praise. Um, I'm glad that she challenges me. But I think that belonging to myself is too low of a bar. And I think that ultimately, if if our science, if our data, if our um, philosophy, if if all we can point back to is ourselves, it's going to be empty. It's going to be disappointing. It's going to be unfulfilling, right? Because we know we know this as a, we're not gods. We're not designed to be gods, and we we will inevitably and invariably fail if we attempt to be. That's not what we were meant to do. We were meant to to run on God. And whenever we try to usurp that or try to replace that, like it never ends well. So, and part of loving God and part of following God is to be in community, right? God created community, God ordained community because God exists in community. And so if it works for him, right? God never says that he belongs to himself. You, you can read Jesus, the life of Jesus from the beginning to the end. He is constantly saying, I do what my father wills. Right, like I, I am sent from the Father. I please the Father. That is the goal of my life, to the point where he can say, my bread is to do the will of him who sent me. Like it is physically satisfying for him to, to do his Father's will. So yeah, anyway, happy Sabbath. I hope that y'all are having a great October and I'll be back.